I think that from time to time, angels like Pilecki are being sent to Earth to remind us about the human potential. And uh, I found it really inspiring because I was suddenly uh, meeting all of these Polish people who were uh, intellectual and had interesting hobbies and and uh, extremely motivated in uh, mobilizing something in Polonia to, to sustain it. I think we can call ourselves young, passionate people that aim to change something. Poland, uh, things that come to mind, not a whole lot, no. Probably not a whole lot. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. Poland? Sausages. <laughs> Pierogies? Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Jazz. I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 49th episode of Polcast. Okay, good news at the beginning. The good news is Polcast has received its third award. None of those three awards came from Poland. This one is very prestigious award right here from Canada, from... From SEMA. SEMA is a Canadian ethnic media association. It's one of the two large associations of ethnic media. And we got and we got awards from both And now. we got awards from both now, right? So this, is, this was a beautiful gala at a beautiful place, which was attended by politicians and people from the cultural sector and lots and lots and lots of people. And we got the first ever award um, granted by this organization to a podcast. There were several podcasts that participated and wanted to get the award, and we got it. We're very thrilled with it. The, the ceremony was great. Congratulations, recognition. It's always good feeling. That's right. It was amazing. It was very funny because I got that award for press, for, for uh, Gazeta, uh, gosh, for uh, on the 25th anniversary of that organization, and this one was 39, so this is 14 years ago. But this one is special because it was the first one in the category of podcasting. And we got so much really nice feedback from people who are listening and who think it's good. So that's wonderful. Congratulations, Tomek. Well, congratulations, Mogosha. As I said at the ceremony, it wouldn't be possible without you, and I can't think of a better person to do podcast with. And same to you. This is really true. And it was your idea. And for pictures and more information about Gala, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. They are high school students from Poland, and not only. How do they spend their free time? Well, not glued to the computer screen and competing for Facebook likes. They worked for months to create a website called greatpoles.pl, which has just been launched. It's in English, which is so close to our podcast hearts and to our mission. It's a beautifully prepared source of information on great polls from the past and those who make Poland known around the world today. 
When I was in Poland in the spring, I met a bunch of people whose work impressed me so much that we featured them on podcast. Three close collaborators, Jolanta Kulik, head of the Young Talent Management, program that prepares high school students for studies abroad, Grzegorz Nawrocki, president of the British Alumni Society, and Richard Washington, a Briton speaking perfect Polish with no Polish roots from the College of Europe in Warsaw. They work tirelessly with high school students to inspire them and help them develop their skills through the Ladies and Gentlemen's Club, a discussion club in English, and other initiatives that we presented to you. I attended one of the sessions of the club, as well as some other events, where one of the very vocal and mature students, a deep thinker, I thought, was Stanisław Borowski. He is in his last year of high school and is one of the key people behind the Great Poles Project. I reach him in Warsaw. So you're a history buff. I know that. I met you. I heard you. <laughs> I was very impressed. What made you interested in history? Is this your main interest in life? Absolutely, yes. First of all, I'd like to point out the fact that my parents are two historians. Therefore, I was raised in sort of a history atmosphere because my father is a specialist in medieval times and my mother in early modern times and in kitchen history. So I sort of, just by being at the table and and dining, simply I, I, I could witness their knowledge and it was really fascinating for me and I just my goal is to to just possess the same kind of knowledge as they have. That's so very interesting that you should mention this dining because I remember interviewing Christian Davis who is Professor Norman Davis's son and that's exactly what uh. Christian said to me. I was just brought up in this family where we talked history over dinner, you exactly. know. Exactly. So that's what that's you guys did, right? Yes, okay. Yes. How does this interest um manifest itself? That means you're just like studying all the time, reading books. What do you do? I just let's call it capture information from every source I can. Whether it's books, whether it's a magazine, or whether it's single information heard from a person, and I check it. When I'm studying, I I want to go to the very roots of an issue. And whether it's Polish literature, I usually just go to the historical context in order to understand the, the sort of trend the writers at this time uh, used, used to use. I, I definitely try to put history in every, every way I, I learn and in every field of knowledge that I'm sort of t about to know about. History is not only facts, unfortunately, but there's a lot of opinion, there's a lot of interpretation. How do you, how do you see that? I mean, what, what is your view of history? The main thing that has not been precisely studied by modern history is social and mass media. It's a new phenomenon which turned out to be a very powerful source of information. So the fake slogans about history or posts pointing out single facts and not the whole story is, is definitely a problem today. How do I see it? Well, here in Poland we have a problem. Uh, nationalists use, I mean, single facts and glorify the whole history. So it's, it's sort of manipulating others mm -hmm. because what people need is slogans, simply. They do not have the motivation to read about something, to do your own research. And that, that is a problem. 
So by looking at history, would you be more interested in studying it uh, as, a, as a historian, as an academic, doing research? Or you, would you be more interested in spreading the real truth, if there is any, or at least trying to make sure that people get as much information, as true information as possible? Definitely the second option. I still haven't found yet a a period that would sort of motivate me to study it further and eventually become a researcher. I believe that by studying history, I could use it, in fact, in shaping a conscious society. I don't know, it would be by giving lectures or or even becoming a, a politician. I don't know. I will find a way eventually, but certainly... Raising awareness would mm-hmm. be the option for me. What do you think about the way that history is taught at school in Polish um, educational institutions? Not really good. Of course, it depends from the teacher you have, but the system in high school, for instance, requires you to go through the whole history of the world. You know, from the ancient times to 1989 in Poland. And... Uh, as I saw in England that you just choose or IB program that you just choose one period the 19th century and you specialize in it and you gain the required skills for a historian such as critical thinking analysis you know collating contrasting theories or views by past politicians that is something, that is, that is how history should be taught. And in Poland, there is this problem that they just want you to become a robot that remembers everything. The, I think the thinking behind it is how can you, as a young person, understand the 19th century without knowing what happened before? You can have, to, let's say, uh, I call it as a pill of the times before. Mm-hmm. The thing is that in the Polish system, you do not concentrate on anything thoroughly. And therefore, you just have glimpses of knowledge in each and every epoch, but they don't teach us critical thinking. Let's talk about the project, concentrating on the great polls, but you're doing it in English, which is so, so very important. How did all of you, you and your friends, how did you come up with the idea? I think we can call ourselves young, passionate people that aim to change something, broaden our perspective, change the view, point of view of someone. And the Great Pulse Project came from the Young Talent Management, which you know very well, that is an educational uh, program deriving from British Alumni Society. The aim of this project is just to not only spread knowledge, because it's the form of the articles are one page only, and it's not a 10-page ten, ten essay. So, so the aim is to encourage people to gain knowledge by themselves. We just give a, a sketch, a draft of a personality. And we want them to explore Polish history by these amazing people who achieved almost everything in, in their own field, whether it's politics, whether it's chemistry, whether it's physics or theater. We just want people to discover Polish history, you know, knowing facts, anecdotes, so that it becomes naturally more interesting and engaging. So it's not an encyclopedia, right? No, definitely not. We're trying to avoid being, you know, a second Wikipedia. Each and every article has a bibliography and has a section if you want to know more, which is 
a group of links. You launched it recently in England. Tell yes. me about it. That's such an amazing place and a fantastic event. Yes, we presented it at the Polish Embassy in London on the 25th of November. Uh, we gave a presentation and it went very well, I think. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really happy. It was an interesting experience. I mean, fascinating. I was very glad that we could present ourselves in, in such a venue. You know, it was amazing. How long did it take you to prepare it so that you can actually launch it? I think four to five months. We had to gather the group, uh, divide tasks. All the authors had to submit their articles by the 15th of August. Once the articles were submitted, then the IT came in and did all the work. We are a team. I mean, each and every one provides the team with uh, his unique skills. And we have, you know, the... Uh, the historical skills and research skills and we have people who are just good with computers and they're called the IT and we have people who are go good with the public relations so it's, it's definitely um, engaging and it teaches us how a team should work so that's wow. another skill that, that we possess by uh, creating the Great Paul's website How large is your team? Well, 20 mm -hmm. people. The team is quite international even. We come from every part of Poland. We have students from Scotland. We have IT guys from England. And we have even one girl who supports us from Taiwan. So, I mean, the team is pretty international. So in terms of publicity, what do you guys do? Uh, we have several partners uh, who support our website. There is, for instance, the British Embassy in Warsaw. Mm -hmm. We have uh, you, Paul Cast, for which we are very, very, very grateful. And uh, we have other organizations like Polish uh, Oxford Society or Cambridge Oxford Society. Mm -hmm. And we have also endorsements of several people. We still, as you know, we're still seeking partners. We just want to uh, get to every person possible. Richard Washington is your ambassador. What is his function in this? Well, he provides us with experience, definitely. We are very grateful that he put his name under in, in this project. He is a graduate from Oxford in history and social sciences. So he definitely provides us with a with an experience that is definitely needed for us who might make a mistake during while researching a person. We can always ask him questions, talk with him. And uh, when you go and study, you don't think you're going to be too busy to continue? I literally don't know about this, but mm -hmm. I worked so hard so this project will be launched eventually so that I believe mm -hmm. I will still work at it and making it continu continuously grow. So I don't want to leave it, definitely. What about the final goal? The website is going to grow, 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 or you have a, a number that you want to achieve? Like, I have a, we have a hundred people that we want to present. What is, the, what is the goal? It's an open composition. We just want it to go its own way. Definitely, we do not want to stop it one point when reaching and 100 articles i mm. think the goal is until we won't be able to find any more great polls which is 
not possible in my opinion because we still have the future generations it can grow and grow endlessly so your grandchildren will finish it or continue <laughs> maybe maybe my great great grandchildren <laughs> i mean I, i seriously don't know it's it's that's why it is exciting we wish you all the success and also uh podcast is full of those people there are so many amazing people around us everywhere that i'm sure you're gonna have enough material till probably i don't know 23rd century so all the best to you all thank you very much Well, all this sounds really great. To learn more about the project, please visit our website, mypolcast.com. And we're super excited to inform you that we have established a podcastgreatpolls.pl collaboration link. And starting from our episode 15 January, our young friends will be producing their own segment, presenting in each of podcast episodes, one of the great polls featured on their website. They will do the recordings themselves, so you'll hear their voices, not ours. Poland is grateful to Canada not only for the fact that it was the very first country to ratify Poland's ascension to NATO in 1998, there is one more very important reason for Poland to be grateful. We talked about the castle of Wawel in Kraków. Well, for centuries, this royal castle housed Poland's most precious cultural artifacts, including the Polish crown jewels, Sterbiec, which was the coronation sword of the Polish kings used between the 14th and the 18th centuries, Psalms of David, the Holy Cross sermons, original compositions of Chopin, gold from the national treasury, and the most famous collection of 136 Flemish-made tapestries, which were called Arrasy. Art historians consider these priceless Vavel tapestries an unparalleled collection of woven artwork. There was also a Gutenberg Bible. Well, between 1452 and 1455, Gutenberg printed 180 copies of the Bible, of which 48 still exist. They're quite expensive. Each of the originals is worth over a hundred million dollars. Before 1939, no one expected that these Wawel treasures would turn into seasoned travelers, transported on horse wagons, trucks, ships, buses and trains, and visiting many countries on two continents. Well, in the spring of 1939, the staff of Wawel Castle began to prepare against the possibility of war by constructing cases and cylinders for moving some of the key elements of the collection, and many of them were placed in an air raid shelter. On September the 3rd, two days after the invasion, in 1939, the castle staff began a journey to safety. Traveling by horse cars, by trucks, for two weeks, the collection arrived at the border of Poland. The idea was to cross the border bridge into Romania and deposit the collection at the Polish embassy in Bucharest. But Poland was not only attacked by Hitler's Germany. On September the 17th, the Soviets attacked from the east. So Romania did not sound like a great place. After considering Switzerland and the Vatican, the curatorial staff decided to take the treasures to France. 
After a sea voyage through the Mediterranean and two weeks in Malta, the collection arrived in Marseille and made its way to a factory in Aubusson, arriving in January of 1940. Soon the war heated up in Western Europe and the collection had to be moved again, this time across the Atlantic, via the Polish embassy in London. The ocean voyage to Canada began in July 1940 on board of the Polish ocean liner Batory, accompanied by a convoy of four escort ships. The crossing was most remarkable considering the passengers on that ship. Well, the Polish Wawel treasures and British children evacuated from the dangers of the war and British gold and securities worth 450 million pounds and Canadian soldiers wounded in Europe. The convoy did arrive safely at Pier 21 in Halifax, Canada. After a trip on a secured train, the collection was deposited at Canada's National Archives in Ottawa. Soon, materials from the Polish display at the 1939 World's Fair in New York were added. With the new communist government installed in Poland after the war, the collection's two curators, Józef Polkowski and Stanisław Zaleski, who left their families behind in Poland to take care and to accompany the treasures, divided the collection and deposited its parts in the vault of the Bank of Montreal in Ottawa and two monasteries in Quebec City and in Ottawa. Zaleski and Polkowski made sure that only a very small part of the collection remained in the record storage building for the new Polish communist government to get access to it. Negotiations to gather and return the collection to Poland took more than 15 years after the Second World War and reached a resolution in 1961, more than 20 years after the arrival in Canada. And they were returned to Poland. This is where they are. In fact, most of the beautiful Arrasy are now in the Wawel Castle. And when in 2010, Senator Bogdan Borusewicz, Speaker of the Senate of the Republic of Poland, visited Canada, he brought as a gift from grateful Poles the Gutenberg Bible replica. And he said, We see many examples today where some countries keep cultural treasures. However, there are only a few examples of countries returning cultural treasures. And for this, of course, Poland will always be grateful to Canada. Today's episode has two stories about young people. The first one was about a Poland-based international project an English-language website presenting great polls of the past and of today. This one is a continuation of a story we featured in our last episode 48, when we shared with you the ideas and goals of the young Polonia, Canadians of Polish descent, young professionals, who have created and are continuing a movement called Quo Vadis. You heard Anja Baritska from Windsor, who was the chief organizer of this year's Quo Vadis conference in Burlington, Ontario. Today, I'm talking to another young Polish-Canadian involved in the movement and in organizing those conferences, Luisa Schatzen, to hear her take on Polishness. Very briefly, tell us about your life. What is the Polish connection? I was brought up, I was essentially raised in a music school. Um, my mother owns and runs the uh, the the Frederick Chopin Music School. Her name is Grażyna Schatzen. So I was raised in this 
music school essentially. And um, it was a very enriching experience in that I was exposed to a lot of Polish culture and a lot of Polish events, and I really didn't know a different way of living. However, as I grew into being an adolescent and a teenager, I didn't really find a lot of um, connection with Polish people. The people who were around me were not representative of the type of person that I was growing into. So, for example, um, I went through a bit of a rebellious stage where I was a goth and then I was a punk and um, I used to wear leathers and dye my hair purple and blue. And my mother was very supportive of everything. She was very into, into personal expression. But that prototype of person did not fit into the Polish community anywhere. I was also into um, progressive and subversive cultures. Um, so... Uh, there just wasn't really much of a place for me in it. Um, in university, I was very, I went to uh, Western university. Again, I tried to go out to one of the events of, um, the, the Polish students club there. This was, um, I mean about 12 years ago, but at the time the people who were, who were in that club, um, I found them to, to again, not be very representative of the type of Polish people that I wanted to, that I, I, I felt like I connect, could, could connect with. So I wasn't involved in Polonia then either. And uh, I guess the sort of a catalyzing moment for me was when uh, Robert Czekański, um was murdered in, uh, in Vancouver in 2007. And um, I was very involved in activism and social justice issues. And I was a regular speaker at different protests. And a friend of mine, um, Michael Lenarczyk and I, we, um, we actually, I actually didn't even know he was Polish at the time because I had never, I didn't know his, his name. I realized that he was organizing a protest to happen in Toronto um, for, uh, for Robert Jakinski. So we joined forces and worked together with a number of other students to create this, this protest, and we got investors to help us out with it and everything. And, um, and that was a bit of a catalyzing moment for me, um, and that kind of that led me to do a couple of independent studies where I got to um, travel to Poland and do research in Poland, which was uh, very, very interesting. I did one project um, about the Polish Solidarity Movement and a second project about um, the government under um, Tusk at the time. And eventually, I ended up uh, being asked by someone to come to a peace meeting. And it was one of the first peace meetings, which is Polska Inicjatywa Studentów w Kanadzie, which is basically an amalgamation of all the Polish student clubs um, across Canada. At this meeting, I met Marta Ogonek-Poziakowski, who runs uh, the Polish uh, Ekran Polish Film Festival. I ended up getting more involved with her. Um, and uh, I found it really inspiring, because I was suddenly... Uh, meeting all of these Polish people who were uh, intellectual and had interesting hobbies and were uh, artists and just doing really cool subversive things in a lot of ways. So I was meeting all these really interesting Polish people who were young and ambitious and inclusive and uh, extremely motivated in uh, mobilizing something in Polonia to to sustain it. Um, and so that that I think really um, inspired me quite a bit. And so I would say that I've been fairly involved since about 2009. We saw you and you heard you talk at the panel during the panel um, discussion at Kowaris in Burlington um, just a while ago, when you also talked about the fact that you actually got uh, professionally where you are now through the Polish connection, right? How did that happen? Yeah, well, my undergraduate degree is in political science and social justice and peace studies and I have a master's in uh, labor labor studies um, and after that believe it or not but I actually moved to Poland for medical school but um, that didn't end up working out for a number of uh, personal reasons 
I was asked um, uh, by the Polish, um, the Roncesvalles BIA, to participate in organizing the Polish festival in Roncesvalles. So I already had e experience with Ekran and the film festival, and I thought, well, this is like a much larger property to work on. Um, so I ended up doing sponsorship for that for about four or five months, and I was quite successful, and I really enjoyed it, and that helped to kind of develop my framework for it. Uh, that experience ended up leading to a number of professional opportunities doing sponsorship. really inspired me. I feel like I found my niche. Uh, sponsorship is a very weird medley between sales and marketing um, and business development. Um, it's, uh, it's very different than uh, philanthropy, kind of like donations. Sponsorship is not a donation. That needs to be very firmly understood. Um, and uh, as, as, as I kind of got more of these experiences, I started bre uh, branching out of the Polish community and getting um, opportunities to do sponsorship for different events, um, worked with some agencies. And then in 2013, um, for Quo Montreal, I was asked to speak about revenue development strategies and sponsorship um, for Polish community organizations. And that kind of ended up leading to a couple of speaking engagements. And so now, now one of my side businesses is um, I'm asked to speak at different uh, conferences and events about sponsorship and revenue acquisition. And I also do consulting with uh, charities and nonprofits on how to corporatize their business models. But professionally, your main day job is? Um, I work for the Baycrest uh, Foundation, so that's within Baycrest Health Sciences. Um, and my role is strategic event partnerships, which is, mm -hmm. again, a very fancy way of saying sponsorship. <laughs> right. I want to go back to something you mentioned um, at the beginning. You were talking about the time when you went to this Polish club um, just to try and it somehow did not appeal to you. You did not find the people there or the, the, the environment, what you were looking for. In what way? What was different? Well, I attended it with a friend of mine from elementary school. And first of all, we got there and we kind of just hung out the two of us the entire time. It was like a backyard um, barbecue. Um, nobody really approached us to try to engage us. And the people who were there were very much just drinking vodka. And, and again, every student kind of wants to party, but I wanted to party in a sophisticated environment um and uh, i wanted to have intellectual conversations and that just wasn't present now that's not to say that these people maybe didn't have those conversations and those experiences on different days maybe i just walked in on it on the wrong day but this was one of their recruitment events i just didn't find that i i had anything in common with them i instead found a lot in common with with people of all nationalities um within my activist and social justice circles. But you got back to the Polish community through these intellectual initiatives and interesting yes. people and all that, which is wonderful. So now my question to you, after Kowadi, so you've been involved in the Polish um, youth movement for quite a while, is how do we attract young people, right? Because now you're, you're, you're very young, all of you are very young, but you, some of you are in your 30s, right? And we're talking about a new generation of very young people who are maybe high school students or maybe um, just beginning university. How to attract them? I don't have a firm answer for this because I think that it's possible that Polonia might just slowly disintegrate if the next generation doesn't have an interest in that. And I have, I've had conversations with people um, my age, I'm 30 years old, um, who have said, you know, like, this isn't, this isn't really that important to me. Like, I don't really care if there's no more Polish parties or, you know, if there's no more Polish bakeries. 
and and that might be a reality for some people. And I think that that's something that we need to accept. Sadly, it's it's really quite heartbreaking. But for those who do want to see these institutions uh, to c- continue to exist and to have a Polish community center where you can sign your kids up one day for for dance lessons or Polish lessons or, or whatever, I think the reality is that if we don't get involved, like the time is now. If you don't get involved, this will disintegrate. Absolutely. For me, that's terrifying. And as much as I rebelled against being Polish for most of my life, when I realized that that won't even be there, I won't even be able to rebel against it. Um, mm-hmm. That in itself was scary for me. But but one of the things that you seem to have rebelled against, all these stereotypical things, you know, like the kielbasa and all that stuff. At Quo Vadis, you talked about re- resurrecting um, the um, professional organization of young people. You also talked, which I liked a lot, about helping each other in your professional lives. You guys are extremely well-educated, a lot of you are, and you have a lot of network uh, abilities, skills. So is that the, maybe the way to go? Not just to keep to yourselves, like we're just doing Polish stuff, but we are of Polish origin and we might do some Polish stuff, but we're really branching a lot, a lot wider. Absolutely. So um, there, one fantastic uh, initiative that came out of the Kovadis uh, conference in Burlington was we've decided to restart uh, a young professionals organization. There was one that was started up in 2012, um, and um, I did a really um, fun event with a group of people at Versailles um, on King Street in Toronto. So it was a very um, kind of um, upscale resto lounge, I would say. The event went very well, and we actually had almost 200 people come out because it was not a Polish venue and it was in a cool area of Toronto. Um, however, after that, it kind of dropped off. So maybe the organizers got busy with children and marriage and all that. And so just kind of nothing ended up happening. And I think a part of the problem it has been the organizational model. So one of the things that we've been working on is to discuss uh, a different organization model that would make it sustainable and, um, and also creating incentives for young Polish Canadians to want to be involved. So, Um, one of the things we're going to be working on is um, having professional content. So, for example, having a um, having an event where a professional speaker might come in and educate us on how to negotiate your salary, how to, how to um, best navigate the tax system, just pertinent information that would be useful. Um, and there would be a membership fee associated with being a part of the organization. So um, our next step is uh, a bunch of us are actually going on a retreat to Muskoka. Um, and our next step is going to be planning the 2018 calendar and figuring out what events are we going to be um, holding um, and what other markets can we assist um, individuals uh, to mobilize and uh, in creating a network of young Polish professionals so that we can work collaboratively, have events that we do in our own markets, as well as events where maybe we might travel to another market and have a, a fun weekend together um, and really creating Um, that larger community. Now, in terms of your significant others, I'm just thinking about how how uh, how frequent it is that you guys have boyfriends and girlfriends or or you know spouses who are not Polish, and does that reflect uh, negatively on your um, you know involvement? Is it only those who are married to Poles or who have Polish girl- girlfriends and boyfriends who are in this movement? Because you know t- it takes time, it takes a lot of energy. Or my other possibility, maybe, is that you get these other people who are non-Polish involved a bit. How does that work? Everybody is welcome to our events. Um, I would say that 
there within our community, um, there is a general openness. Like it's not uncommon. My, my previous, um, partner was Slovenian and he came out to all of our events and, um, partially because his community didn't really exist. There wasn't really much of a, a Slovenian community in Canada. So, so he was very, very involved. Um, and, uh, no, I would say that the door is definitely open. Um, with that being said though, if someone is single and if they're interested in coming out, I would say that, that our events are great, um, spaces to, to meet a significant other. Um, and the other thing that I think is really cool is people are very open to like pairing each other up. And, uh, and I think intermarriage is quite important if you're going to maintain, um, language and culture within a household. Um, even looking at, um, the new generation of children coming through my mother's music school. So these would be maybe 30 year olds. Um, one or both parents might be Polish and the level that the children are able to speak Polish, um, is, is quite low, even if both parents are Polish. So it's really quite, it's, I think it's very difficult to uphold, um, living in Canada. Um, but it certainly helps if both parents, um, and if both, uh, members of the family unit, um, are able to share in that. And does it happen a lot that young people who are married to non-Poles or who have non-Polish partners, like your boyfriend was Slovenian, but I mean, you know, mm -hmm. even from completely different cultures, that they would still be involved in the Polish community, youth community movement? Um, I would say that there has been quite a few examples of people popping in and out of the community. Uh, there's a number of very key organizers who are married and have children with non-Polish people and still stay very active. I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's interesting. Actually, my mother's music school has a number of children that are not even Caucasian and they speak Polish. So that kind of stuff gives me a lot of excitement. Finally, I just want to ask about the language, the role of the language. Do you think that it is so absolutely important to keep the language? Of course it is, but I mean, is it the only key to this culture? Like, isn't there um, a need to be also um, making this culture available through the language that is available to other P Canadians, for example, mm -hmm. or Americans or Australians, which is English. Yeah, no, absolutely not. I don't think that language for, for, for myself, language is, is important, but I, I do think that um, like one thing that I dislike about some Polish events is that they're held um, partially um, or largely in Polish. And I think that's extremely exclusionary. And what we're not thinking about here is Polish Canadians who are perhaps fourth generation, whose grandparents don't even speak Polish. Um, and I, I think that we really need to tap into um, those reservoirs of, of individuals as well. Um, so no, I think that it needs to be absolutely open, especially in Canada. Events need to be held um, in English, perhaps with um, with Polish elements added, um, and uh, making it as as widely available as possible. I can also add that where I work right now, um, Baycrest is has a very strong Jewish influence, and all of our events are held in English. That's not to say that there might not be um, elements done in Hebrew or in Russian. So. Um, I, I think that, I think that really, um, the Jewish community has a fantastic model of how best to mobilize and how best to retain recruitment within, um, within their community. Maybe you're one of these young people who wants to get involved. Maybe you just want some inspiration for your own community, or maybe you just want to learn more about these ambitious young people living in another country, but feeling strong ties to Poland. To do so, please visit our website at mypolcast.com.
Smacznego. We're here talking about our love for eating Polish. My name is Peter. And my name is Laura. And we wrote two Heritage Polish cookbooks called Polish Classic Recipes and Polish Classic Desserts, where all the recipes have been handed down from previous generations. But updated for modern kitchens, so no more pinch of this or glass of that. You know, the holidays are almost here. How many of you have been eating healthier this year? We have for sure, since being in the cookbook business can be hazardous to our health. A favorite discussion around our house often centers on trying to find a healthier dessert. Something to satisfy Peter's sweet tooth, but won't make the calorie patrol too angry. One great dessert I like a lot is a traditional go-to holiday dish, fruit compote. Compotes date back to the 17th century France and were made from pieces of fruit in a basic sugar syrup. Whole fruits were placed in water to which sugar and spices were added and then warmed over gentle heat. Flavors can be modified by adding vanilla bean, lemon peel, cinnamon, cloves, or raisins. The compote is then served either warm or chilled and can be topped with a little whipped cream, powdered cinnamon, or flavored sugar. And for a little kick, and that's my style, some alcohol can be added to the sugar syrup, such as rum, brandy, or vishnufka. The beauty of compotes is that you can add more or less sugar to the mix to let the aromas of the fruit and flavorings really pop through on your tongue. And, depending on how much of a purist you are, that can be totally natural and organic. No more canned fruit ever again. Today we want to share with you a Polish apple compote, which is simple to prepare and pure as nature herself. It's a dessert you probably can't buy in a general grocery store. The kids will love it as an everyday dessert, or you can dress it up with some color for the most elegant of dinner parties. So first bring four cups of water to boil in your favorite pot. Add a cup of sugar and stir it up to dissolve. Next add cinnamon, lemon zest, and eight semi-sweet apples, which have been peeled, cored, and quartered. Simmer all that for 10 minutes or until the apples are just soft. Stir in the lemon juice, taste the syrup for sweetness. It should be refreshing, but not cloyingly sweet like canned fruit. You should clearly taste the cinnamon, as well as a bit of lemon in the background. If you want it sweeter, or more cinnamony, or more tart, Add more flavorings, but go slow. Especially with the sugar, and keep tasting. Less sweet is better. Simmer for another five minutes, or until the apples are soft enough to cut with a dessert spoon, but not mushy. Chill thoroughly before serving. I love this. The full recipe for this dish and information about our heritage cookbooks is on our website, www.polishclassiccooking.com. Just scroll down to the article posted on January 12, 2012. Smacznego! So we can have that compote for uh, Christmas Eve, is that right? Yes. Sure, of course. So because this is our last uh, recording and our last meeting um, before Christmas, we at Podcast want to wish you a wonderful, wonderful, merry, happy Christmas with a lot of food and healthy food and unhealthy food. And I don't know, five million uh, copies sold of your wonderful cookbooks. I wish it was five million, but Laura and I want to wish you and all the listeners out there a very happy holiday season, a very Merry Christmas. Wszystkiego najlepszego. 
Wszystkiego najlepszego. Do you remember our two-part interview, A Hero from Zero? My conversation with one of the few Poles who made it in Hollywood. Actor, director, screenplay, writer, university lecturer Marek Probosz. You can hear the, his fascinating story in episodes 44 and 45. There was one special part of my long, long conversation with Marek Probosz, which we left for later and which we will present to you now. Marek, who is passionate about history, among dozens of roles he played, had one that was very special because this character was a truly extraordinary and heroic human being. Regrettably, he's not that well known in the world. This is Marek Probosz talking about Witold Pilecki. You played an extremely important person in, uh, in uh, or a character in Polish history, or I should, should say international world's history. Right, right? now, absolutely international. Yeah. Tell us just in f a few words um, who this person is, and I'm talking of course about Witold Pilecki. Beyond bravery men. Men who uh, single-handedly changed the course of thinking what human being is, is capable of doing or sacrificing or um, offering um, to the humanity. Um, how we have to accept and love diversity, love everybody. We have examples, Mother Teresa, we have Gandhi, we have Jesus Christ, we have many other historical figures who were kind like it, But what Witold Pilecki did is the only man who voluntarily went to Auschwitz, to hell on earth, to bring hope there, to organize underground there, to help each other out there, and to be ready to liberate the whole Auschwitz from within at the moment when the order would come from the superiors, from allies or if they would drop some weapons or bomb Auschwitz. You can say he's a crazy man, but he did accomplish that. He was in Auschwitz for almost three years, risking his life like every other inmate every day, going through all the tortures, near-death death experiences. Amazing. But this is one part of his life. Yeah. This hero later escapes from Auschwitz, which is another impossible task, miraculously survives, makes it to underground in Poland and is convincing everybody that they have to storm Auschwitz because 10 or more thousand people a day are being murdered there. Of course, it never happened, not because Pilecki didn't want to, he organized small groups of as crazy people as him, but there was never order and also there were families that they were afraid of the consequences, what the Germans uh, would do to the families of the inmates uh, because they had addresses and etc. etc. So that didn't happen, but Pilecki also took part in the Warsaw Uprising after that, right after he escaped. He was a walking skeleton, and the, the Polish underground asked him to be one of the leaders. He said, I won't be a leader, I'll be a soldier. Not a leader, I don't want to be a leader. He never cared about, you know, this uh, honors and medals, etc. So when he started 
in his platoon, which was Hrobry Divine, the center of Warsaw, where the Warsaw um, Museum, Uprising Museum is right now, that's where he was fighting, he was the last platoon to be taken during the Warsaw Uprising. The last one. Yeah. They were fighting until the end, and Pilecki naturally became again, became again a leader. Of course, he was always under the different name, because if Germans would know that this is Pilecki, he would be killed. He was under Serafinski in, in Auschwitz, then he was under another name during the Warsaw Uprising, because he was taken to another concentration camp in Germany when he was captured. Until the end of the war, he was there. And then he went to General Anders, the legendary Polish general. And when Anders saw him, said, I can't believe you are still alive. He knew about his heroic deeds, and he wanted... Anders to be his right hand in organizing the Polish free government abroad. But Pilecki said, I can't. Thank you very much. I have to go back to Poland and fight. He said, what do you mean? Well, he said, the war is not over. Stalin took over Poland. Soviets took over Poland. And I swore to Polish eagle and to St. Mary that I'll fight for free Poland until I die. So he said, you'll be killed. He said, well, didn't I go to Auschwitz where they were killing 10,000 a day? I'm going to go and fight. So he went to Poland again. And for one year, he started the NIE underground uh, organization and single-handedly making microfilms that he was sending abroad and, and other documents informing the West about the atrocities of Soviets in Poland. And finally, he was captured. We're talking after the war. After the war. He was captured uh, in 48, tortured for one year in the most brutal way to the extent that Pilecki himself, when his wife visited him, said Auschwitz in comparison was a joke. Of course, it wasn't about the hell in Auschwitz. It was about um, the fact that he couldn't take being tortured by Poles or Soviet, uh, Soviet, uh, Sovietized uh, Poles in, in the Polish uniforms, that, that hurt him so much. And um, when finally the Polish new Soviet government uh, couldn't break Pilecki's spirit, couldn't make him a collaborator of the new system, Soviet system, they decided to make a show trial and to take dignity from him, to accuse him of this hero, to accuse him of being a traitor of the new Soviet communist Poland, right? In front of everybody. And then after that, he was sentenced to death and murdered with a single shot to the back of his head, burned in the oven in Rakowiecka. That's why they didn't find remains of Pilecki, even though they are excavating many mass graves. Nobody found Pilecki. Pilecki was erased from not only from the surface of earth, uh, but also erased from the cards of history. If the regime wouldn't change in 1990, we wouldn't know about Pilecki. So you had, a, you had an amazing opportunity, I guess an honor too, right? Yes, to absolutely. To play his role both in a film and in a theater production. And I recorded the audiobook, 10 hours audiobook for Brilliance Recording, which is available around the world. It's 10 hours, his entire reports. They picked me to read Pilecki, so I did that. We got fantastic reviews from Washington Post. So the title is? The Auschwitz Volunteer, Beyond Bravery, Captain Witold Pilecki. But it's audiobook, so it's audible.com. Pilecki was an absolutely brilliant man, brilliant spirit. I think that from time to time, angels like Pilecki are being sent to Earth to remind us about the human potential, about the potential of the human spirit 
human will, altruism, idealism, all, all that beauty that is out here, because we live in paradise, which we turn into hell. And it's easy in paradise to find paradise, but to find paradise in hell, that's the task that he challenged, and he did succeed. Until the end, he was, he was uh, uh, pure in spirit. And, and the biggest patriot, the biggest humanist you can mm. imagine. We hope that Marek Probosz and his work will help to spread the word about Witold Pilecki, a real hero and a unique human being. To learn more, please visit our website at mypodcast.com. episode is in fact the last episode before Christmas. So you would probably expect us to talk about Polish Christmas traditions, but we will do it in a slightly different way. There are so many Polish Christmas traditions and some of them are very special to Poland. But uh, I'm sure there are plenty of places, resources, uh, polls on Facebook uh, where you can learn about them. In fact, we talked about it last year. So I don't think we're going to continue. But we could talk about things that we don't necessarily like about Polish way of celebrating Christmas. I'm sure yes, everybody... Yes, that's a good idea. <laughs> well, I don't know exactly. I mean, I can only talk about food. First of all, I hate thinking about having to buy presents and getting very, very upset about, oh, I haven't done this, I haven't done this, and all that. So so that, for me, is uh, the stress of Christmas, which is also connected with the stress of producing two huge editions of Gazeta. So all that is always uh, relatively stressful. So I don't like that part. So this year, for example, in my family, we decided that we're going to go for uh, $10 or less. But, but what about the, the more traditional traditions of Polish Christmas. Uh, I, for example, I'm not big on, on cooked fish. Uh, the, the car tra- traditional carp. I actually don't like, yeah, carp. Well, no, cooked, f- nah, 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 cooked, no, but fried carp is amazing. Well, uh, one of our friends is really a specialist and he is just, he is specially designated to, to do that and I love it. But I don't like anything that's cooked fish, no. Noodles? Did you did you have to eat noodles with uh, um, poppy seed? Not in my home. Oh, you're lucky. Well, actually, in the times which I remember as my childhood, I really disliked most of the food for Christmas Eve. This was not my kind of food, except for uh, we were from the mushroom f- uh, soup family. I started eating um, eating barst, which is the beet soup, when I got married. But before that, it was mushroom soup, which I didn't like either. So really, I couldn't wait until midnight when you could eat meat. <laughs> uh, but, f- for example, at my grandparents' house, one one side of the family, my grandpa insisted, always insisted, on putting the real candles on the Christmas tree. My God, that's really very dangerous. 
Well, not on the dangerous. I'm telling you that Christmas tree caught fire one year. Well, this is what I'm saying. Dangerous, right? Because it can't yeah. catch fire, and it did. And what happened? Did you like have a fire in the house? Well, let's put it. Let's put it this way: the the Christmas tree during the actual Christmas was much smaller than the original. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but everybody was safe, and and. Well, in the past, people did it for some, and I don't know how they did it. Like we always did very crazy and very dangerous things in our. Uh, in the in the past, and now everybody has helmets for everything, and you're not supposed to do this because it's dangerous. You're supposed to watch out because it's dangerous. Like we were not really. So I guess this one generation, even ago, like the one generation before us, people were just putting Christmas uh, lights, uh, like you know, the candles on the trees. I don't know. I don't remember that in my family. But you know, when when somebody would think about it now, is you know the tr- the tree that has been cut a few weeks earlier, so it's pretty dry, and you're putting fire right on the tree. You know, something has to happen. Well, of course, but then you, you you're not supposed to have a dry tree. You put it in the water, do you? But I think my grandpa put it right on his TV, not TV set, radio on a big radio. So, so. this was like a tiny little tree. Well, it's, it was you know a meter tall. Very small. How could you have such a small Christmas tree? Because the apartment was just one bedroom apartment and they were trying to cramp in the whole family in it. Well, like a hundred people? Like, well, I would say 15, 16 people in one Really? Room. See, that's right. So that means you can actually celebrate Christmas for 15 people or 16 uh, in a one bedroom apartment. It's also sh- possible. Sure can. Especially you when sure you put can. fire on the, you know, to the tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, what else did we not like? I don't know. I actually liked everything about Christmas other than those things. Like the food was not particularly exciting for me, the Christmas Eve tr- uh, food, other than the herring, which I liked. And uh, obviously, uh, old aunts just kissing you on both cheeks. Oh, you didn't like that? Well, had sexual harassment, me too. <laughs> <laughs> All the kids hated this, right? All the kids hated this. And I also, dis- very much, I have to like, admit it, nobody actually is alive from my family to remember that. But um, I really didn't like particularly uh, the presents I got from my grandmother because she always crochet. She did crocheting and knitting by herself. Now I think I would be just really uh, excited to get stuff like this. But then I really didn't like it. Maybe you should find some time for knitting. I don't have time for knitting, but that's okay. But what I really liked about Christmas, and I can say what I liked about Christmas, was other than normal presents which we got, my mother always put little things in different places in the house, and they were tiny little things under the pillow, under something, under my bed, and in many many different locations, and I had to find them all. And she would say, Zimno, zimno, or ciepło, ciepło, which means warm, warm, which means you're getting closer, or... Jimno, Jimno, that's uh, cold, cold. So it's not in the, you're not going in the right direction. And that was the most exciting part of Christmas. They were tiny things. Maybe we should play those games more often. I play those games with kids. I think they're great. One day I'll be grandpa. Well, I am. (laughs) Without without candles on my Christmas tree. Oh, you're not going to do that. Okay. So what else do you dislike? Is there anything else you dislike? I can't think of anything now. It's hard to dislike Christmas, really. You know, this clearly they're more. I, I'm in that. You know, in Poland they, there were discussions about the the superiority of one of the two holidays, whether it's uh, Christmas or Easter. For me, Christmas is definitely more magical than Easter. Yeah, the weather like in terms is more. Of, ma- 
The weather is more magical. You know, but it just has this amazing, amazing um, atmosphere. And it's just a little mysterious. It's not always white Christmas, right? So you can't say the weather is like if it's terrible and, and slushy or if, if it's muddy, then it's not very particularly exciting. But I think inside the house, when you have all these decorations, I really like the decorations. But you know what? Maybe before, just before Easter, and in our podcast episode, just before Easter, we should we should have a conversation. Which of the two holidays mm-hmm. is more Polish? No, uh, I don't. I mean, I think it's such a ridiculous question. <laughs> really, like, what do you mean more Polish? In what way? Well, that would be that would be an interesting topic, and maybe. Well, some... I can only tell you one thing: that one year. Um, it took us until Easter to take down our Christmas tree. So, because we just liked it and then it just kept standing there. So when, when Easter came, we put little eggs on it. So I, I, I'm sure my grandpa would find a way to get rid of it. <laughs> well, anyway, these, this is as far as Christmas is concerned. You're going to listen to some carols today, those that are not Polish but have been translated into Polish and sound Polish then but other than that you know don't forget about Opłatek it's very important Opłatek is the wafer right well some would say it doesn't actually come from Polish tradition but it's a completely different topic but we don't have to have only Polish traditions especially that we live in a country that has so many different traditions so all the traditions are fine and we can combine them and have have a beautiful mixture of tradition and make Christmas more Christmassy this way that's true You were listening to the 49th episode of Podcast, our last podcast before Christmas. Well, if it's the last podcast episode before Christmas, then what do we do? We have to um, wish you something good for Christmas and ourselves and each other. So let me see what I would like to wish you. And we haven't prepared this. This is completely improvised. I want you all to have a wonderful, warm, cozy 
um, friendly, peaceful, uh, healthy Christmas where you would just feel goodness in your heart and nice, wonderful, friendly, good people around and um, where you would think about those who are not with us anymore, but then you would be happy, happy, happy to be here still and have a prospect of a few wonderful, happy days. And I wish our listeners to feel loved through this Christmas. I wish you all to have all the time you want to listen to all kinds of podcasts in the new year. Including ours, actually ours number one. Well, starting with ours, obviously, yes. and, and hopefully through that we'll get some more awards. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I actually listened to a really interesting program on the CBC radio, and they talked about a guy who is a trainer in mindfulness. But the one thing that he does is he organizes something that's called loving meditations or something, meditations, I think, loving meditations, where he actually has to have, where everybody has to imagine that there's no one, according to the Buddhist tradition, there shouldn't be anyone who is left out when we send them wishes. So, for example, if you hate somebody, you, you don't want to wish them anything. Well, that's not right. You should be able no. to wish something to everybody. So then there were questions about, okay, how would you be able to wish anything good to Hitler or to, I don't know, Pol Pot? Well, there's plenty too good to, to wish to people like that. Well, what is it? Well, I'll tell you what he said. Ah... Okay, let's start with Hitler then. What an interesting conclusion to our Christmas episode. Uh, well, last yes, Christmas. terrible. What well, we I would, to this. What, mm -hmm. I would, what I would with somebody like Hitler for Christmas is that he would find love mm -hmm. from people and places he least expects it. Right. Well, that's actually almost exactly what he said. So when people told this guy, they said, you know, I can't think of anything I could wish to people like that. He said, well, more or less, it's not exactly in the same words, but he said, you could maybe wish those people that hate and evil leaves them and that they become free of those terrible things and that they find peace, which is more or less what you said. Which is very close. That's right. So, uh, if there are people around you that you are really, you know, that you feel bad feelings towards, like, well, I don't know, wish them something like that. And wish yourself that the hate or the negative feelings leave you. That's all I want to say. And, well... Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And we Szczęś have to say that in Polish, exactly. Wesoły Świąt i... Szczęśliwego Nowego Roku! Podcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For a lot of additional information, multimedia and links, please visit our website, mypodcast.com. And while you are there, please leave your comments and share with us your thoughts, reactions and ideas. If you know of any interesting person or story that we should cover on Polkas, please let us know. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to rate us on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening to Polkast.
and we leave you today with Polish version of my favorite Christmas song. I'm sure you will recognize it. Jest twoim sercu miejsce na cud, na wiarę, że radość zamieszka w nim znów, więc zanim się spełni. Spójrz ów na świat Uwolnij uczucia Chowane pod Bo ważne, że jesteś Ten
Cieszę się 